Engaging presentations on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Uh, great to have you with us. Isn't it great that the Lord has given us another day to witness to the sanctity of life, another day to defend the unborn, another day to serve his kingdom? In the midst of this all-out war that is going out, as uh, Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders said the other night on TV, she said, this is a war between normal and crazy. And I've uh, made that point many times uh, myself, calling it a battle between common sense and insanity. Insanity. Well, the, the word of God restores sanity to us and to the world. Let's see what the scripture for today. I want to comment again on the first reading from the book of Genesis. Let's see what it has to say. A reading from the book of Genesis. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a suitable partner for him. So the Lord God formed out of the ground various wild animals and various birds of the air. And he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Whatever the man called each of them would be its name. The man gave names to all the cattle, all the birds of the air, and all the wild animals. But none proved to be the suitable partner for the man. So the Lord God cast a deep sleep on the man, and while he was asleep, he took out one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. The Lord God then built up into a woman the rib that he had taken from the man. When he brought her to the man, the man said, This one at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman, for out of her man this one has been taken. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and clings to his wife, and the two of them become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, yet they felt no shame. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, we pray to you this morning with repentance from our sins. You know them, Lord. We know some of them. We ask you to give us grace in times of temptation, and we ask you to give us the grace of forgiveness for all the sins of the past. May we start anew today in your joy and in the new life you give us in Christ Jesus the Lord. Amen. As I've been explaining to you from the book of Genesis, there are two accounts of creation. One is in the first chapter, one is in the second. And it's interesting when you read them together. In the first, it says the Lord God uh, gave uh, the man dominion when he created human beings, gave them dominion over all creation, over the fish and the animals and the birds. And here that dominion is brought across in the way of saying that he gave the names to all these animals. If you're giving them their names, that indicates a certain kind of dominion. Parents, of course, give the names to their children. They don't have absolute dominion. There is a stewardship there, however. They are entrusted with those lives. And so the man giving the animals their name, rather than the other way around, indicates the dominion of human beings over the animals. 
And in the first account of creation, we read, male and female, he created them. God created human life. He created them male and female. Here, that truth is also brought about with a description of how the woman was formed. Notice, when the man was looking, Adam, our first father, looking at all these animals whom he had named, he found none of them to be a suitable partner. Well, of course not. They're not equal to him. If he's giving them names, he has a certain dominion. That's not going to be his partner. None of these animals can think or speak or have free will. They have awareness, obviously, and we know how they interact with us. But it's not like they have a human mind, human thought, and human freedom. You can't have a suitable partner unless you have those same abilities of a human being. Why? Because it's something I brought out the other day when I was explaining what it means that we are made in the image and likeness of God and something that Mother Teresa often said. She said it to me, she said it to the public in her speeches, that we are called as human beings to give and receive love. Now, this is human love that we're talking about. Freely given, knowingly given, given with the praise of God and under the will of God, that human relationship of one person equally and freely giving him or herself to the other person. Now, the reason this is part of what it means to be in the image of God is that God is a communion of persons. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit giving themselves to one another in love so humanity strives to live that same way in a communion of self-giving love, starting with this relationship of marriage. Notice that right at the beginning, when God creates human life, he creates marriage and family. That is the place where human life is to be nurtured. To think that you can just, without any kind of commitment, have those actions with another human being that bring forth a third human person without having the guarantee that you're going to stick together for the good of one another and, and of that new person. This leads to so much of the breakdown in society, the chaos, the moral corruption. Marriage is made for human life. Family is made as the sanctuary of life. And life is given to people within that context of marriage and family. That's what's coming across here right from the beginning of creation. But let's look a little bit more at the creation of our first mother, Eve. She's not taken from the head of Adam as if she would be superior. She's not taken from the foot of Adam as if she would be inferior. She's taken from his side. Equality. On the same plane, on the same level, the church teaches the equal dignity of women to men. And this is also a foreshadowing. You read St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians in chapter 5. He refers to this passage in Genesis 
He refers to the creation of marriage. And then he says, this refers to another marriage. This points to a higher marriage. The marriage between Christ and his church. Now think about this for a moment. St. Paul also talks, and he speaks at, at length about this in his letter to the Romans, about Adam, this first man, our first father, as the, he speaks of Adam as a foreshadowing of Christ. And he says that Christ is the new Adam. Well, what does he mean by that? Well, Adam, of course, is at the origin of the human family. All human beings descended from Adam and Eve. And Adam, not only did we inherit human life from him, we inherited original sin because his disobedience caused us all to be devoid of the friendship of God from our very conception. Psalm 51 says, in, in sin, my mother conceived me. Christ initiates by his obedience to the Father, obedience even unto death, death on the cross, initiates a new humanity, the people of life. That obedience of Christ does away with the original sin, does away with our enmity with God, fills that void of friendship with God, Christ actually starts a new humanity. And so as we always say, you know, Christianity is not just about being good people. It's about being new people. So Jesus stands at the head of a new humanity rooted in obedience to God, rooted in adoption as sons and daughters of God. Christ is the natural son of God. We become adopted sons and daughters of God. And so Christ is the new Adam. But if he's the new Adam, it goes deeper than that. Because then there has to be a new Eve. There has to be a new mother of the, of the new humanity. And here we have this scene from Genesis, the creation of woman, the creation of marriage, pointing to the scene at which the people of life is born. Now, John Paul II wrote in Evangelium Vitae, the gospel of life, that the people of life are born at the cross. Who's standing at the cross next to the new Adam, the new Eve, his mother Mary? And here you have this now, this mystical convergence of a, 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 the, the mother, but, but now the symbolism is going to become the husband and wife of the new humanity. She's standing there in the same kind of obedience to God. Let it be done to me according to your word. Your own heart, a sword shall peace. Lord, I pierce. Oh, Lord, I accept the suffering that comes at this moment. And Jesus and Mary are exercising that obedience, contrary to the disobedience of Adam and Eve. And then what happens? This reading says, the Lord God cast a deep sleep on the man, and while he was asleep, took out the rib. God cast a deep sleep on Jesus. He died on the cross. He slept 
three days in the tomb. But once he cast that deep sleep upon him, something came from his side as well. One of the soldiers, seeing that he was already dead, we read in John 19, pierced his side with a lance, and immediately there flowed out blood and water. Blood and water are the fountain of life in the church, symbolizing baptism and the Eucharist. The blood and the water are coming out to bring about this new marriage, to bring about this new life, to bring about this new humanity, the people of life. And symbolically, before he died, Jesus says to Mary, Behold your son, John the disciple. This is a marriage that is fruitful and is giving life and continues to give life every day through the preaching of the word, through baptism, and through the Eucharist. The people of life is growing every day. The new humanity is flourishing every day. We are accepting the word in obedience to God. This is the beautiful symbolism of this. That's why, by the way, marriage has to be faithful and fruitful. If the marriage of every man and woman represents the marriage between Christ and the church, well, then, of course, it's forever. You can't, if two people went to the altar, it doesn't matter if a priest is there or, 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 or who it is, they give the sacrament to one another. The priest doesn't give a person the sacrament of marriage. The priest witnesses the two people giving it to each other because it consists in their consent, their vows to each other. Vowing what? Well, one of the things they're vowing is that it's going to be permanent till death do us part. If literally, if someone went to the altar and in their heart and mind and in their intention, they said, I am pledging to be married to this person for five years or I am pledging to be married to this person until fill in the blank, whatever condition is fulfilled. And after that, no. Do you know that the marriage is not valid? It's not valid. It's one of the reasons that you can get an annulment later on if you could prove that at the, on the day of the marriage, your intention was, I'm going to marry this person for a limited period of time. The marriage is valid only if the intent is to marry them forever. Similarly, if two people go to the altar and say, I am, uh, say in their mind, in their heart, in their intention, I am never ha having children with this person. Now, we're not talking about a biological limitation on children that might come with, with age. We're talking about the intent. I do not want to have any children. I close my heart to having any children with this person. Guess what? The marriage is invalid. The intention, the consent, when the spouses give the sacrament to one another has to be permanence and fruitfulness. Why? Because Christ cannot abandon the church and the church cannot abandon Christ. It's permanent. Permanent fidelity. It's the fidelity of God himself. It's the Holy Spirit given to the church to make sure that the whole church will not depart from Christ. We're not talking about individual members. Each and every individual member is capable of rejecting the church, going off into apostasy. We're not talking about a promise that no individual will leave the church. We're talking about a promise, a guarantee of Christ. It's called indefectibility, that the church as a whole cannot depart from her spouse, Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus said he was the bridegroom. Remember when he was asked why his disciples don't fast? How can they fast while the bridegroom is still with them? Bridegroom will be taken away, that is the crucifixion, then they will fast. 
And then, of course, in the book of Revelation, then the heavenly Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, representing the church, representing this new humanity, representing the people of God. It says, beautiful as a bride adorned for her husband. And the Bible ends. The Bible begins with marriage. The Bible ends with marriage. Of course, it's all in between as well. Isaiah, for example, saying, God is saying, he who is your maker has become your husband. But at the end of the Bible, it, it finishes with the bride crying out to the bridegroom. Look at the last few verses of the Bible. Here we're reading the first verses. Read the last ones. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let him who hears their voices say, come. And the bridegroom answers, yes, I am coming soon. This is how the Bible concludes. Bridegroom and bride. New humanity, new life. Intimate, permanent union. That's what God wants for his people. All of that is being said here. All of it. This one at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. The two become one flesh. You and I become one flesh with Christ. We've received his spirit. We eat his body. We drink his blood. We receive him. He receives us. Drawing us up into himself. Consuming us filling us with his spirit. We are one body, one body in Christ, members individually of it, and therefore of one another. The unity we have. And that unity of flesh, by the way, brothers and sisters, even though they are not baptized, that unity of flesh in our humanity includes our unborn brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this, this awesome mystery that you revealed to us in the book of Genesis. Thank you, Lord, for the awesome mystery of your love for us. You marry us. Thank you, Lord, for your love of human life, for your creation of the new people of life, and for our commitment to defend life. Lord, we ask your blessing today. Bless and hear the prayers of all who are watching leaving their prayers in the comments or holding them in the privacy of their hearts. Bless all our intentions and our grant all our needs. Continue to show us that intimate love you have for us. We now pray in the words Jesus gave us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Friends, I hope you're watching my uh, evening program at 8 p.m. Uh, we often have programming also at 9, and we also have the Rosary and Divine Mercy Chaplet at 3. These and other programs, and of course, all our social media posts, make sure you stay connected with us. My social media address, FR Frank Pavone, you might be watching me on one of those platforms now, but be sure we're connected on the other platforms as well. 
and uh, I appreciate uh, staying in contact with you. We will be back soon. Have a wonderful day. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.